And welcome to episode 172 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. So in this episode, we're going to talk about the lunar eclipse observations. We've had some observations, received lots of observations and amazing photographs from our listeners. And uh, we're going to do another giveaway at the end. Thanks to a uh, longtime listener and frequent correspondent, uh, Jim. So how was your week, Shane? Uh, it was uh, it was good. Not too bad at all. We had a, our first winter storm and uh, dealt with that. And then the forecast leading up to the eclipse was sort of spotty here, but uh, it turned out to be not too bad from uh, most accounts uh, that I've heard. <laughs> I, uh, mm-hmm. I unfortunately did not see the eclipse. I slept through my alarm. I shouldn't say I didn't see it. I probably saw about the last 5% of the, the eclipse at like six in the morning or six 30, something like that. <laughs> yeah. How was your, how was your week? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, week was really good. Um, I, I heard from Skywatcher and my AZ GTI mount okay. is coming back to me. Uh, they said they adjusted the spring assembly on the AZ axis and uh, they said it was, it was set too tight. So I'm not really sure. And they said the gears were not meshing correctly, which was basically, I think, uh, you know, our analysis as well. So it sounds mm-hmm. like we were on the right ball there. Mm-hmm. Um, any, any charge? coming your way no charge not okay. not that i've seen yet we'll see what happens when it gets across the border but no i think it was uh covered under under warranty uh, skywatcher was a pleasure to to deal with and uh, they said they also adjusted the tension um to make it smoother somehow like i think like there's a few different adjustments like as as we saw and we kind of looked at it and uh they even updated the firmware to to the latest uh build and uh they said they would send it monday and then like five minutes later i received tracking notifications so by sending it Monday, I think they meant that uh, probably would would end up in a truck on Monday. But but I already have the tra- I already had the tracking number, um, you know, very shortly after receiving uh, the first email from them. So uh, yeah, I'm super impressed with Skywatcher's service so far. Um, you know, I always wondered. I, I've never had to to do this with any of my astronomy gear uh, to this extent before. I never had like something, you know. Um, have such a problem that it basically, well, I got to send it back in for, for maintenance. And so I always wondered, and, you know, I, I know a lot of people out there probably wonder too, you know, and Skywatcher is a big company and uh, I got to say, <laughs> you know, they said it would be about four to five weeks before they got it. They got to it and got it fixed. It's been five weeks and now it's in the mail back to me. So they were right on with, uh, with their estimates. So uh, really, really happy with that. And uh, whenever I wrote them, I did, did write them from time to time for updates um, I think it's only a couple people that work in the shop where, where I send it to. So I think they are busy and, uh, you know, considering the price of the mount too, it's a very affordable mount. Mm-hmm. So I definitely appreciate their, their time and efforts there, but, uh, yeah, anytime I wrote, they, they would be back to me with, uh, within, uh, within the day. Yeah. Very quickly. Usually. Mm. Well, that's, that's really positive. Uh, you know, I'm glad you're getting the mount back and, uh, can get the hundred millimeter back out under some dark sky. It's- yeah, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that um, because that's the mount that I use my uh, TAC 100 on, and I really don't have uh, a backup mount for that. Though I have used it on my uh, TAC Lapides uh, manual mount, but uh, uh, for some of the stuff that I do for for the sketching and and some of the other stuff that I do with it, I want it tracking so that I can uh, you know sit and sketch and and do whatever. And so it's just been kind of annoying not not to have that uh, functionality. Uh, also ordered the new. William Herschel book. Pretty excited about this. Been waiting for it for a long time. 
Uh, it's called uh, William Herschel Discover of the Deep Sky by Wolfgang Steinecke. And uh, I have uh, at least one other book by Wolfgang Steinecke, and it's absolutely excellent. And Wolfgang Steinecke has a, an amazing website on the history of, of uh, astronomy and visual observers and discovery. And so I'm super excited to get that book. It's supposed to arrive um, right around the time for, for the Christmas holidays. And I, I really plan to, uh, to, to be able to sit down and, and have a good read of that book, uh, you know, dur- during the Christmas period. So I'm very excited for that. Hmm. So this is a, a new release. Yep. Brand new release as of October. Um, cool. yeah. And, uh, I saw that, uh, Mark Bratton, our friend Mark down, uh, just South of us here, um, he, uh, he's bought his copy and, and he of course is, uh, I think one of the few people that has, that has gone through and, and, uh, observed and sketched all of the, uh, Herschel objects in both the Northern and Southern hemispheres. So, um, he, he was, he was pretty excited about it too. So, um, yeah, I had, yeah. once I saw he placed his order, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm in, <laughs> it's not a cheap book. Right. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, and, and Mark wrote the complete guide to the Herschel objects, uh, Sir, Sir William Herschel's star clusters, nebulae and galaxies. And it's wonderful. Uh, if anybody has interest in the Herschel objects, I can't recommend that book enough. Um, and like you said, he, he sketched, I think all of them, uh, like all of the observations that he did, but not all of the sketches made their way into the book, but uh, quite a few did. And it's really neat to see what these objects look like through, I believe he was using a 17 and a half inch dog, if I'm not mistaken, 15. Okay. 15, 15 inch F5 Tektron. I think, I think that's what it was. And, uh, and as, as a note, as a note on that, I was with him when he did the veil <laughs> and observed that with him. I, well, he was, he was doing the sketches and, uh, and, and be- between his views and sketching as, as he was going to, uh, to the paper, I was, I was at the eyepiece. So, uh, I can confirm that his sketch of the veil is what it, what it looked like through that instrument. <laughs> He's a, He's an amazing sketcher too. Like he's really, really talented. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's, he's a great, a really awesome observer. Yeah. It's a lot, a lot of fun to, uh, I, I was, I keep thinking I gotta, I gotta get back and, you know, I talked to him from time to time and got to get down and, uh, I don't think I've ever looked through the, the big telescope. I've been to it, been to the observatory. Um, but I haven't looked through that, that newer telescope he got, uh, I think it was just like two or three years ago or something. The 25 inch. Is it 20? I thought it was 22, but anyway, I, it's, it's a big scope and he's got mm-hmm. an observatory and, uh, yeah, I would like to, uh, I would like to get some, get some views through it. And then of course, with the pandemic and everything, it's kind of, uh, messed stuff up pretty good. So good. Yes, indeed. Eclipse. Let's talk about the eclipse. Let's really get into this. What, what eclipse are you talking about, Chris? The lunar. I, I, oh, the lunar oh. <laughs> There was a ton of stuff that came out of this in terms of like observations and photographs and observing reports that I saw on Twitter. It was really nice to see that a, a lot of people were able to observe uh, this event. So, you know, I think that's super cool. And I know you were able to observe it. So I'm really curious to hear about your experience. Yeah, I, I had a pretty good view. Um, I got up. My plan was not to start observing it right at the beginning and, and go right to the end because I don't know why I should have taken the, I should have taken the day off work. Um, I, I don't know why I didn't, I, I just should have, and I didn't. Um, so I, I knew I was probably only going to have about an hour and a half or so. Mm-hmm. And, uh, therefore I, I, you know, I, I didn't get to see the entire event. So what I did is I planned to get up 
and go out when it was about halfway between sort of like quote unquote first contact, like when it starts to go into eclipse and when it would be at full eclipse so that I could find it in case there was clouds and there was clouds. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I went out at, at like two fifteen or two twenty, and uh, end up watching till about three thirty. Um, and uh, yeah, when I went out there, there was definitely uh, lots of clouds and some small clear breaks. And then eventually it cleared off just after sort of maximum uh, eclipse and never got to a total lunar eclipse. There was always still, uh, I think like 3%, it was like a 97% eclipsed uh, moon. So you could always still see the moon. And even through the clouds, most of the time, the clouds were thin enough that you could see it. There was the odd time when it kind of got blotted out and then we get like some, some clear breaks, but uh, eventually uh, it did, uh, it did come through. But um, what I did Shane, is I, uh, I was concerned that I would lose it totally. And I hadn't planned to set up a telescope. Mm-hmm. I thought I would just go out and look and I thought, oh, I'll find it. And then I'll kind of watch it through binoculars or whatever. And when I went out, I could see some of the clouds were really, really thick. And at first I lost it for a few minutes and then came back. I thought, I'm going to put a telescope on. I think it'll be okay if I get a telescope on it. So I set my FS uh, 60 millimeter Takahashi up and, uh, yeah, it, that was a great idea. That was awesome. That was that was definitely uh, the best scope to put on it because it still has a wide field of view. So I could find it really quickly and then I could uh, keep it in a wide field and view it even even when it was uh, covered with some of the some of the clouds uh, that, that were passing by. So, yeah, when you get up, you, you get up and just observe the end of it, though, I think. Yeah. Yeah. When I woke up and got out of bed, like I say, I think there may, and this is just a rough estimate on my part. Uh, it was right at the tail end of the eclipse. So I think I maybe caught 5% of the eclipse and, uh, to be perfectly honest too, like you would never really know looking at the moon. Like I was not able to really distinguish, um, you know, any, any part of the moon that was not, uh, you know, quite as bright. So, um, I assume if I would have maybe put some binoculars or some sort of optics on it, I may then have been able to, you know, see some of the difference, but visually it was really a, a non-event for me. Yeah. Uh, when I get up at, uh, just after two and went out, um, the, the piece of the illuminated disc that was visible was, it's actually much smaller than I thought it would be. Um, I was surprised how much the moon was, was already eclipsed just halfway through to, uh, to that maximum point. Um, and it does look, it does look strange. And I, and I heard this, um, and read this in a number of, of reports, you know, as, as we were leading up to the eclipse, but I kind of felt like nobody really described why it looks strange or, or so different. Um, and there is a really important difference between a, a lunar eclipse and just, uh, sort of like the regular lunar crescent. And like it, it definitely does does look much different than than just uh, a partial uh, illuminated moon. Eh? Like it does look different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know the the thing too that I really noticed in a lot of the photographs was the stunning red. Um, mm. Like it was really like kind of in that brick red. Um, and I guess what I'm kind of curious about, you know, photographs can be manipulated depending on your camera settings and, you know, post-processing to show lots of different colors that maybe don't reflect the visual observation. So I'm kind of curious, Chris, like just from a visual standpoint, how did you kind of interpret the the depth of the red or, or the brightness of the red? It was quite red. Um, and it had, it had, um, 
it really displayed what I'd hoped it would display, which is a beautiful gradient. So you went from having that small bit that was still illuminated, just, just that 3%. I was really surprised how bright that looked um, just to the unaided eye. I thought, oh, it's 3% illuminated. That's really not going to show much, you know, here in the city with the unaided eye. But yeah, you could always see it even through cloud. And then the rest of the the lunar surface um, went from being this this bright white bit. It then dimmed down to like these sort of blue tones to gray tones to orangish tones to red tones to rust tones like it just it had just this beautiful uh, sweeping range of colors right across the surface it was just phenomenal wow well that sounds like it might be one of the better eclipses then even in you know compared to recent eclipses uh in terms of just some of that color variance and being able to see it yeah and uh when i first set up the 60 i, I put in just about eight power i was just using eight power and and decided that I, I wanted a little bit more power on it. So I bumped it to 30 and uh, one of my 80 degree uh, eye pieces. And so one, one of the things that I was looking for, I actually went looking for a few different things is um, to observe along the edge of Earth's shadow, because this was going to be um, a, a sort of a unique opportunity to have a really long period of time when we'd have the Earth's shadow on the moon, almost completely covering the moon, but never completely covering it. And the one thing I, I had forgotten to do, uh, I think on just but every other occasion, is to really look to see if I could detect details along that uh, shadow edge, right, mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of Earth's shadow edge. And I, I, I had thought that maybe you would be able to see like craters a little better, anything like that, but it it actually doesn't. Um, It's totally washed out just as if it is full. And so what, what we're seeing here and kind of referring back to what I said earlier, this is the difference between a crescent, a regular crescent moon that we see every month and, and a lunar eclipse. And that is that Earth's shadow is not very clearly defined. It's it's much more well. It has this gradient to it because what's happening, of course, is the uh, is the the light is passing through the upper atmosphere of the Earth, and that is uh, refracting the wavelengths of light. And of course, that's what gives us these tones as well. Like you don't get this super sharp um, edge to to the uh, to the shadow even looking at an unaided eye like although it does look like you know there's this shadow on the moon it's not very sharp like when you look at a crescent moon it has this very very sharp clear edge to it you just feel like you can draw a line mm-hmm. along it mm-hmm. and you don't get that with the with the lunar eclipses yeah you know when i when i photographed the 2015 eclipse that we were talking about last week when we recorded um that was one thing that i noticed too in the photographs was that there really isn't like that distinct, you know, terminator edge that we're used to from, from, you know, normal moon or lunar phases. Right. Yeah. It really was sort of a gradient and um, didn't provide that additional contrasting effect that we're used to seeing with the terminator, which is an interesting observation in and of itself. That's right. So that's one of the reasons why a lunar eclipse looks different 
than just your regular crescent moon. And that's because that shadow line um, is, is not sharp. However, when the angle of the moon and the sun is such that we see the uh, lunar shadow cutting across, of course, there's no atmosphere on, on the moon either. Um, but that angle between the sun and the moon and us as an observer on the earth is such that we get this very clearly defined shadow band. Now, additionally to this, the other thing that makes a lunar eclipse look very different is that when the sun and the moon are angled such to the observer on earth, of course, it's just the lunar shadow that's causing it, right? Because you have the sun sort of in a way kind of in behind or, or at an angle to us, right? So it's the actual, um, the actual shape of the moon in a way that's sort of causing the, the shadowing on the moon when we see a crescent moon. However, when the earth's shadow is projected on the moon, it's much larger. So you actually see it as more of a, of a straighter line. It's not going to give you a crescent shape. It's going to give you more like a longer arc because the shadow of the earth is much, much larger uh, than the moon is. Mm -hmm. No, that's a good explanation. Yeah. It's pretty cool though. Yeah. Yeah. That is really cool. Um, And you prefer the higher magnifications over the lower magnifications. It looks like. Yeah. I was using like 30, 30 power and uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty neat. So I noticed that, uh, that the bright area almost blurred into like a blue color and then uh, slowly turned into like some smoky colors and blending into like an orange and then dark rusty red. And then sometimes as a cloud passed by, um, sort of like that furthest point from, from the illuminated bit would blend into space. Like basically there was times when I couldn't even see that at all. Hmm. And then I noticed that, uh, that the, the redness would kind of, as you, as you were looking over the course of, you know, just a few seconds, it would almost appear to shift. So sometimes it would be a little more red and sometimes the whole thing would almost go like smoky. There was times where I would lose that red color altogether. Now this of course is I'm observing through some clouds and I'm thinking, Oh, it's, it's just the clouds that are causing this effect. And I think it was kind of unstable Mm -hmm. and as far as the atmosphere goes. And then um, as the moon came out of the clouds, I was surprised that this um, this effect continued on. That I would actually still see, even though the, the clouds were gone, I would still see the the redness kind of intensify and then drop off. It it wasn't consistent. It definitely wasn't consistent throughout the observation. Now I don't know if that if that's an effect of our atmosphere, and maybe as as our shadow is being projected into space, there's fluctuations in that or whether it was just a factor of, uh, of my own local conditions being, I think they were, they were sort of moderately un- unstable. It wasn't like there was no ground wind and the seeing was okay, but I think that uh, maybe it was just, just our atmosphere, but I was kind of surprised to, to see that uh, the redness kind of fade and then come back and fade and come back. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't, it wasn't consistent from moment to moment, but it, that could have just wow. been a result of seeing. That's very interesting. Um... Yeah. I thought, I, that was sort of, un, that was, that was unexpected. And I hadn't noticed that before, but I wanted to, 
I wanted to look for that. So I kind of went looking for that as well, because I had thought I saw that in the previous lunar eclipse I observed through a telescope. And then when I did decide to set that up, I'm like, oh, I'm going to take a look for this again. But then the clouds, I thought, oh, the clouds are probably leading to this. But then it was cool when they, when they dipped out and I, I was able to, to get it in a clear sky for half an hour. I was like, no, I can still see this fluctuation. Hmm. Very cool. Um, I'm going to ask a question that maybe isn't fair because of the clouds, but did you notice like, you know, as the moon goes into near complete eclipse or total eclipse, um, did you notice like kind of the darkening of the sky? Did more, you know, did fainter things pop out or was it too cloudy to notice? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I noticed that like even, even on the clouds. So, so the moon was up when I went to bed. And you, you can tell, like, although I can't really see like overhead, of course, when I'm in the house, um, the, you, you can, you can tell, like there's more illumination. I can see sort of more houses and streets and it's lighting up, like there's a lot of snow around now. And so it's lighting up the snow and everything. And, and then when I, when I get up at two, uh, quarter after two, whatever it was, I looked out and everything was like pretty much dark, right? Like mm-hmm. you were in a city as, as dark as it gets where I am. Um, but definitely you could notice that it wasn't as bright as it was, um, earlier that evening. And then, uh, as well as, as the moon came out of the clouds, I was then able to actually see the, uh, Pleiades, the Pleiades, which is an open star cluster, uh, near where the full moon was, uh, that night. And, uh, and I was like, oh, you can actually see the Pleiades. And it was only, I think, uh, maybe seven or eight degrees away or something like that. And you could very, e- you could, I wouldn't say it's easy, but you could see it with your eye. And it, I'm in the city, so it's not uh, necessarily super easy, easy to see anyway. But you could, you could see it as sort of a large uh, area and some faint stars uh, in that region. So then what I had to do, of course, is like, mm, I, get, I can't quite get it in my low power field with the 60. So I put the 60... Uh, back in the bag and I keep my Borg uh, mini Borg 50 in the same bag. So I pulled that out and it gets about a 10 degree field of view and I could easily fit the, uh, the near full eclipsed moon um, with, uh, or the near fully lunar eclipsed moon, the near full lunar eclipse and the Pleiades in the same field of view at the same time. And uh, my wife had come out by this point, I was showing her and I said, that is a rare sight. You know, I was here are things that are rare. I'm like, you know, seeing a lunar eclipse, is somewhat rare, and but be, being able to see a lunar eclipse and the Pleiades in the same uh, field of view, I thought that was that was pretty cool uh, to be able to see. Yeah, for sure, that's awesome. Yeah, we had some listener observations. Yes, yeah, quite a few actually. Um, it, it was really awesome to see. Like we had a, we always are receiving emails from listeners, but definitely around these bigger events, we we get an increase in the amount of emails we receive, and it was awesome to read various reports and a lot of photographs were sent to us. Um, so yeah, that's awesome that a lot of people were were able to to observe it. Um, where to start? So Peter sent us some images through his ninety millimeter uh, SV Boney refractor. I'm not sure. Is that what maybe an F6? I think it is. Well, yeah, I think these are F55. And it's kind of funny because I I think uh, we were talking about this the other day and I was saying um, that's an interesting telescope. I've always wanted to look through it. You know, I I have a lot of small telescopes, pretty hard to decide, you know, to get a 90 millimeter F5 when when I have, you know, two or three telescopes right around that same size. But I Mm. always been interested by that scope. So he sent us a, a really cool photo of the lunar eclipse taken through that as well as the, uh, the sword of Orion, which of course at the very center is, uh, 
is the Orion Nebula, which is a star forming region in, in Orion, which is well placed in the middle of the night these nights. And I think he used a guide scope camera, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, and if I'm incorrect, I apologize, but I, I think he was using a guide scope uh, camera. And um, your comment, which I thought was was you know perfect, um, was that you know it really reflected what sort of like sort of the visual uh, appearance of these objects through a telescope. Um, yeah, which was uh, quite accurate. The the uh, the shot of M forty two. I think the nucleus of that is maybe a little bit brighter than it would be visually, but you sort of get an, an idea of what you would see with the extent of it, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was neat. So uh, Peter had noticed that uh, definitely the sky was getting uh, darker all around, uh, not just the, the, the lunar disc. And mm-hmm. so he took advantage of, of the, uh, the long period of, uh, of, of dimming of, of our celestial neighbor to actually do some deep sky work, which you definitely can do during a lunar eclipse. So typically, of course, um, the, the full moon period is typically not night. We're going to go out and take a look at deep sky objects, but during a lunar eclipse and, and this one being over three hours long, um, you know, presents an opportunity to actually start, uh, you know, poking around the sky when you otherwise couldn't. So I, th- I thought that was really cool. I wasn't in a dark sky site. I was just in my, in my, driveway and so i was uh i was looking at orion uh just with my eye. i might have put my binoculars on it or something but uh i didn't bother doing any deep sky work but uh, clearly peter is in a better spot than than i am and, and was able to take a better advantage of it very cool yeah yeah uh and then ian sent us an incredible photo of uh of the moon i would imagine it's at that 97 percent point like as far as as much of an eclipse as you know possible that night is what he captured and and, um, you know, I think, I think this has been my favorite photo actually that I've seen, uh, of the eclipse, just because it shows a lot of that gradient that you're talking about. That's uh, right. That, yeah. Like how it, you know, you, you see the very kind of limb of the moon and it's not eclipsed and it's quite bright. And then it just goes from like, you know, sort of different tones of soft gray into the softer tones of the reds and then to, you know, very pronounced brick red at the very uh, opposite side of the moon compared to the uh, bright side. And um, really, really awesome shot. Like focus is perfect. I don't know if he did any processing, but that's just beautiful. And and kind of the other neat thing, Chris, is uh, I don't know if you noticed, but Ian's in Regina. So <laughs> Oh, is he? This is uh, exactly what you know. Uh, all of the local folks here saw that night, I guess. Oh, I hadn't, I hadn't noticed that. Um, but that's, yeah, that's spectacular. And uh, I should know the region, but it's sort of on the on the left side of his photo. So his photo is correctly oriented too. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh no, uh, I didn't. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and then on on sort of the the left side there, you can see that it's a little bit more illuminated there. Yep. And I had noticed that visually as well. And, and he, uh, he captures this, um, quite nicely that, that, although the, the illuminate, the brightest portion, um, really stands out. If you kind of creep up and, and to the left along that limb, um, that area also, um, was somewhat illuminated. And, and I did notice that even, even at the sort of maximum eclipse. So, um, he definitely captured, um, a really good impression of what the, uh, of what the moon looked like. Well, and I also love like if you if you zoom in on the photo, like the irregularity along the like the the limb, like yep. the edge of the moon is is very pronounced. Which again, like I've never been able to get a very good focus where that kind of detail really starts to make itself yeah. visible. So just a beautiful image. 
yeah, yeah, that's that, that's a great shot. Thanks so much, Ian, for sending that along. Yeah, yeah. Then what's next here? Oh, yeah, Corey sent us uh, a really awesome shot. Um, I don't know at what percentage this would be. I would say, you know, I'm guessing 75 to 80% of the moon was in eclipse. And yeah. I'm not sure if he stacked the images to come up with this because normally, you know, to get the kind of that reddening, you end up overexposing the the part that's not being eclipsed, yeah. but like his gray part of the moon is really awesome. So either, you know, he just was able to control it nicely through the photo or, or he did do a little bit of post-processing, but regardless, it's a wonderful image as well. I think it captures again, that like that orange was so intense in a lot of the photos that I saw um, more so than what I remember in previous eclipses. Yeah. You can actually almost see in his, like if you zoom in, cause we have like the outer the outer edge is the penumbra and then the inner part is the umbra. And you, you, you really start to get that sense when you look at, at Corey's image that, uh, that there's, there's these different levels to the, uh, to the shadow that's landing on the lunar surface. Which yeah. Is cool. Yeah. The other cool thing too, with his shot is that um, he, he actually captures a lot of the star field around the moon. Like the moon is actually yes. quite small in the overall frame. Yes. And uh, I always appreciate that too, when you can see, you know, all of the other stuff that's going on kind of in the background. I think that that's really cool. Yeah. And he sent a very detailed um, set of observations mm-hmm. with it. And I, I, I kind of, I, I had to shorten them down uh, a little bit, but uh, maybe, maybe if you would mind, I could just read through these over. over yeah. Time. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. So um, he said at about 2 a.m., uh, there was a slight darkening observed in the top half of the moon as it entered the penumbra of the Earth. And by 2.19, his time, the eclipse begins with the top half of the moon uh, entering Earth's shadow. And this was uh, very obvious to his naked eye. And he did something super cool. I wish I had thought of this. Is He's built up a pair of these 2x54s. Um, that like the, that, that you had made for us, Shane. Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. he also has a pair of the 10 by 42 uh, image stabilized binoculars. And so he made some of his uh, observations through that and noted that uh, it was very sort of uh, charcoal in color in contrast to, uh, to the bright white uh, of, of the rest of the disc. And so what he was noticing here is that as, as the moon just enters that shadow, you, you, you are able to pick up that contrast and sort of oddly enough, you're not getting that rusty red color yet. You're just getting that darkening. Now, when I went out, um, uh, you know, sort of halfway through, I was getting uh, no color at first, just that charcoal tone, like he refers to. Um, but then pretty soon after that, I was, I was able to, to see the color that I was uh, looking for, but I was really jealous when I saw his observations, I was like, well, I wish I had dragged out those two by 54s. And I wish I had uh, been able to watch the, the full event um, because with his two by 54 binoculars, he says that uh, he was actually able to get the Pleiades star cluster on the right and the Hyades star cluster on the left. So the Hyades is uh, another star cluster in the constellation Taurus, and the moon was kind of sitting uh, kind of in between them. And I'd totally forgotten about the Hyades when I was looking, and I only focused with my little scope at the widest field on looking at the partially eclipsed moon and the Pleiades. I hadn't uh, I, I hadn't taken a look at the uh, at the Hyades and the eclipsed moon, but he was able to get them both in the same field of view in those super wide field of, uh, of his binoculars. So said it was, uh, was an amazing sight and, uh, 
he said it was just really cool to be able to pan around with his 10 by uh, 42s and uh, and to get those. Then he says by uh, 255, uh, over a third of the moon was covered in the shadow. The orange red color uh, became much more visible. This is kind of just about when I started or just after I started observing. He said the umbral line passed through the Sea of Serenity into the Sea of Tranquility. And then by uh, five after three, um, you know, the moon was half covered and a thin band just inside the umbra uh, started to uh, kind of reveal some of those uh, red tones. And then he also noticed some of this blue color uh, that I mm-hmm. had noticed as well. And that by 322, the sharp line of the Earth's umbra reached Tycho or Tycho. And, uh, and he saw a meteor pass through. So hmm. I'm not in, in the binoculars. So I'm not sure if he meant that it passed just through the outer field or like sort of in line or very close to the moon. I, I was curious about that. And then he also made more observations with his two by 54s and uh, was able to see uh, some, some of the lunar detail and uh, some of the color, uh, you know, sort of slicing uh, across the moon. So pretty cool uh, observation there, kind of moving on to quarter to four. Um, the moon was completely covered by this point. His time, of course, our, our times all vary a little bit. And uh, he was really able to see that red orange shadow cast by Earth's uh, shadow onto the moon. And he noted this. I thought this was really good. He started making comparisons between that color and Aldebaran, which is nearby, which is a bright, uh, which is the brightest star um, that's just over top of the Hyades star cluster. And uh, and he also was uh, taking a look over at Betelgeuse. Uh, in Orion, which is also a bright sort of reddish orange star, uh, you know, and, and so it was really neat that he was sort of making these, these other comparisons to these other sort of orange objects, mm-hmm. uh, in the sky. So I thought that was really, really cool. Agreed. When I, when I read this, obs- uh, 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 I can't talk observing report, mm-hmm. I was really blown away. Like this is a great report of, of, you know, the experience. And it was almost like, you know, we were sitting right beside uh, Corey and, and, you know, sharing the binoculars. Yeah. Um, it was, it was awesome. And I love the comparison to Aldebaran. Um, you know, I, again, like that, that oranginess really came through and, and um, uh, you know, to be able to compare it to some stars that were also in the sky at the same time, I think is awesome. Yeah. Yeah, he said it was, uh, and just sort of to conclude his remarks, he said this partial eclipse is definitely trying to masquerade as a total, and uh, only the smallest sliver was left uh, over the left side of the lunar limb uh, remained. So uh, for being the longest eclipse in centuries, the phase was far over, uh, far too soon, uh, as moon quickly started moving back out of Earth's shadow. And by this point, he was really cold and tired and uh, was eager to take a look at his photos. And he said it was a frigid evening, uh, well spent that he won't soon forget. So thanks so much for sending that, Corey. That was super awesome. Um, it, you know, it really made me wish that that I had looked at some of the things you had looked at. I think I kind of had looked for some other things, and it just shows like how how two different observers observing uh, the same event are kind of detail it and go for some some different stuff. And I can't wait for the next uh, lunar eclipse and and remember to drag out my my little uh, low power binoculars as well. Super cool. Thank you. You know, and, and what I want to highlight, Chris, uh, with like your observation, as well as, as what Corey uh, sent us here, is that for a lot of these big events, there's far more to observe kind of within the event and around the event typically. So, you know, obviously with a lunar eclipse, you're, you're watching that transition and, and the moon being eclipsed, but there's so many other subtleties to look for, whether it's that blue color, that 
was witnessed or, you know, like how Corey compared to, or compared the, um, orange to other stars, as well as, you know, what Mars, uh, you know, would look like through the telescope. Um, I think that's awesome. And I think that that really adds a lot of depth to these types of observational events, because there's just so many things, right. To, that you can try to take in what I was hoping to hear and I haven't. So if anybody, um, can, uh, fill in this blank for me, I'd be very curious. Um, that comet that you and I have talked about Leonard, uh, what is it? A one or P one Leonard or something like that. Some, I think a one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the recent magnitude reports as of about a week ago, had it at around eight and a half. Hmm. And I'm just curious, like, you know, that's the right time of the day to be observing. It was, you know, kind of in the, the wee hours of the night or the early hours of the morning, however you want to look at that. Um, you know, and then with the, with the moon going into eclipse, uh, so now it's not as much of a factor in terms of, you know, brightening the sky. I'm just curious if anybody maybe got an observation of Leonard in there as well. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'd be curious about that. I certainly didn't because I was observing from my driveway between two streetlights. So, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Not going to try that. No, not, uh, not at that hour. And, uh, yeah, for, for me, it was, it wasn't that cold. It was, it was only minus five Celsius. Um, and there was no wind while the clouds were overhead. And then once the clouds cleared off, we started getting just like a steady, like say 12 or 13 kilometer hour wind and the temperature started to drop. And so it went from being about minus five, I think to be about minus seven or minus nine, which made it feel really cold pretty oh, yeah. quick. So yeah, mm. unfortunately, yeah, it got, it got, you know, pretty chilly here as well. Yeah. And what would normally be just a very light breeze during the day, something you wouldn't even pay attention to, um, is a real game changer at night when you're observing, you know, it's already cold. You're not really moving around to generate heat and any slight wind, at least for me, um, usually shrinks the amount of time I'm spending outside by it. it you know, it's almost exponential at that point. <laughs> Sounds good. Do we have any uh, other lunar eclipse uh, observations or, or information to share, Shane? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I think that was it. Um, yeah, I think the next eclipse is in May, but I'm not sure. I, it might be more of a Southern Hemisphere thing, mm. if I'm not mistaken, but I, I need to look into that. Um, hopefully we can see it because May is a lot better temperature-wise to observe these things, but uh, I think we're out of luck yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll find out. So, uh, before we go for the day, um, yeah, let's talk about, uh, calendar giveaway. So I, I'm going to be, I'm not yet, but, uh, for 2023, I'm going to be the, uh, Royal Astronomical Society of Canada's, uh, observers calendar editor. And I'm going to do that for, uh, for several years. That's a plan anyway. And, uh, I did work on it this year and, uh, I have a couple copies of the 2022, RASC observers calendar to give away um, sort of first note is primarily the calendar. It, it's a Canadian calendar. So um, those in Canada is uh, people in Canada is, is who it's primarily designed for um, probably all of North America, anybody in, in North America could, uh, could benefit from it. And, uh, and even still some of probably the majority of the information is probably pretty good for anybody. Like for example, when the moon is, full or what phase the moon is at, um, well, that's going to be the same no matter where you are on the planet. And as well uh, for planetary um, oppositions and, and different things of that nature, it's only going to vary by 
uh, a few hours, which could just sort of shift things um, from one day to the next for either forward or back, depending on where you are on the planet. So uh, it's pretty good, uh, pretty good resource, uh, no matter where you are, I, I think. But I just want to kind of kind of make that note. It's not sort of like a universal uh, global calendar, but certainly uh, if anybody wants to uh, submit for it, um, happy to to send one out. Um, so with that, uh, Shane, I think we're going to do a bit of a giveaway. How, how are we going to give give away a couple of calendars this time? What do people have to do um, to uh, to enter their names for the draw for a couple of calendars or for a calendar? You're just going to get one, but we're going to give two away to two different people. Yeah, I, I think just uh, send in some observing reports. Uh, that's how we've ran these in the past. And I, you know, I think that's a good way to do it again. Um you know, it, it can be anything, uh, no, no minimum criteria here. Just, uh, send a, an observing report to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Uh, we will, um, put your name into the, the hat, so to speak, to draw uh, the winners. And then we'll contact the winners after the fact and get mailing addresses to send these things out. And, uh, you know, I'll just add, like, I'm a, I'm a digital person. I really don't like paper um, in in most things that I do. Uh, but the one thing that remains is this calendar. I do buy one every year and uh, I hang it in my office at work. And it's just a nice resource to have as I'm planning vacation throughout the year, you know, quickly flip the calendar to see when new moons are and, and uh, you know, start to plan camping trips and, and days away. So I like it a lot. I think it's a pretty cool resource. And, uh, you know, thanks, Chris, that uh, you're able to procure some and, and give them away. Yeah. And I, I should know, I, I do this as a volunteer. This isn't like, it's not a job. I have a regular day job and, and this is something I do uh, just for fun. Um, but as well, um, you know, it, uh, it, you know, it's a great way to, to contribute back to the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada, which, which we're members of. And then uh, as well, like if people do want to purchase copies, I, I was looking it up just before we did the podcast. I see they're, I think they're like $17 and 95 cents uh, Canadian on the uh, RASC.ca store. If you just go to RASC.ca, um, you can go to the store there. And as, as Shane mentioned, uh, yeah, just submit some, uh, some of your observations. Kind of hope they're going to be um, more recent ones. Um, but yeah, we're not, uh, we're not too picky. We just want uh, people to reach out and, and let us know what, what they're observing. And, uh, yeah, with that, Shane, um, anything else to add for this, uh, for this podcast? No, sir. That is all I have. All right. Super. Well, thanks Shane. And thanks everyone for listening. Uh, be sure to subscribe in your podcatching software. And we're always excited to receive listener feedback or your observations to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Did I get the email address right? You did. Yeah. Perfect. Good. Excellent. Well, thanks Shane. And thanks everyone for listening. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>